Good morning. This is Northern Light for Thursday, June 22nd. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. The bus manufacturer Nova Bus stunned officials in Plattsburgh yesterday when they announced it's closing its factory there. It's a major employer in the region. Also, a new financial forecast released by the governor's budget office shows future deficits doubling next year. We knew it as the budget was being negotiated when the budget was enacted that there were out-year gaps on the horizon. So it was a big concern, and it's why we urged some spending restraint at the time. Folks in Brazier Falls voted this week to turn their reading room into a fully chartered library. We'll listen back to our conversation with those who pushed for a chartered library in Brazier Falls. And we'll preview the Adirondack Food and Wine Festival this weekend. This is in, you know, smack dab center of Lake George. So within walking distance, you have thousands of hotel rooms, hundreds of restaurants, and there's just so many fun things to do. All of that and more is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by AdirondackExplorer.org and the AdirondackAlmanac.com, seeking solutions to the Adirondack Park's challenges in print and online. And Gray and Gray and Associates, CPAs and accounting and financial services firm in northern New York with offices in Canton, Potsdam, and Spring Hill, Florida, GrayCPAS.com. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. In a surprising move, Nova Bus has announced it will close its bus production and manufacturing facility in Plattsburgh by 2025. It's one of the North Country's biggest manufacturers and employs more than 350 people. According to WCAX News, Nova Bus plans to focus on their more profitable facilities in Quebec. Local officials say they were stunned by the company's announcement. Gary Douglas, president of the North Country Chamber of Commerce, said in a statement that he was totally surprised and had been anticipating the company's growth with the national transition to electric buses. Assemblyman B. D. Billy Jones called the news devastating and related it to the impact of the closures of Pfizer and the Plattsburgh Air Force Base. Nova Bus President Ralph Axe said in a statement that the company will try to help employees find other jobs. A new financial forecast released by the governor's budget office shows future deficits doubling next year. From Albany, Karen DeWitt has more. Just over four months ago, when Governor Hochul unveiled her state budget proposal... Thank you very much. The current budget was balanced, and the projected deficit for next year was around $5 billion. We set the table for what should be one of the most prosperous times in our state's history. Now, the governor's budget office says it is nearly doubled to $9 billion, and it's rising to over $13 billion the following year. The budget office released its revised numbers earlier this month. Patrick Orecki with the Watchdog Group Citizens Budget Commission says it's the biggest gap the state has faced since the Great 
Great Recession. He says in the months between Hochul's address and the budget passage in early May, fiscal storm clouds were gathering. We knew it as the budget was being negotiated, when the budget was enacted, that there were out-year gaps on the horizon. So it was a big concern, and it's why we urged some spending restraint at the time. Lawmakers did not heed that warning. The deficit is partly a result of increased spending during the COVID-19 pandemic, fueled by a large infusion of federal relief funds sent to New York. The budget office says tax receipts are also coming in at a rate lower than anticipated. The governor has begun talking about the upcoming shortfall and how it influences her decisions about spending money now. For instance, she spoke against a bill being considered by the state assembly. It would provide health care coverage for undocumented immigrants. Hochul says the state can't afford it. The warnings about our finances are troubling. And we saw a reduction of $6 billion in the month of March from our normal tax receipts. Hochul, during her tenure, has built up the state's reserve fund. It now totals $19 billion. Arecki, with Citizens Budget Commission, credits the governor with significantly increasing that fund. But he says it's supposed to be used in a true economic downturn or an unforeseen emergency. So just using reserves to plug gaps that you built when times were good is not how you should use reserves no matter what. Citizens Budget Commission is offering some advice to the governor and lawmakers. Arecki says Hochul should be vigilant about controlling spending and should reject any new bills by the legislature that add to the state spending burden. And he says next year, it's likely that the governor will be presenting a more fiscally austere state budget. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's six minutes past eight. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Just ahead, a St. Lawrence County town is home to North Country's newest chartered public library. That conversation coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Gretchen Kohler on the fiddle and Daniel Kelly on piano. You can hear more of their music on our website anytime. They're part of the Underscore Project, and you'll find a link at ncpr.org slash underscore. Northern Light is supported by Rickard Environmental in Keene, New York, offering wetland delineation services to protect critical habitats and Adirondack waters. Learn more at rickardenvironmental.com.
It used to be that all North Country schools offered classes in agriculture. Most people were farmers at one time or lived near one. Today, those classes have become more scarce. At one school in northern Franklin County, students are growing their own vegetables for school lunches and learning about agriculture, sustainability, and nutrition. NCPR intern Kelly Daphnis has more. The Ag Lab at Salmon River is a little annex off the school library. It smells like fresh potting soil and chemical fertilizer. Kids are busy growing and harvesting vegetables. We're planting lettuce right now. This is a seed plate. 10th grader Carissa Lindley is showing us how to plant lettuce using sheets of metal with rows of holes in them. And then you put a seed in every one of like the big holes. We cover it back up with soil and then we put it on our trays. On the other end of the room, Jonathan Delisle, an 11th grader, and Will Lazor and Brennan Oaks, both 10th graders, are shoveling potting soil. They're adding some worm castings into the mix. It just makes it like, more so the plants grow better. The kids chase around their class mascot, a rabbit named Jack-Jack who they'll feed lettuce to. Uh, we give them a little bit every now and again from a, a tray that's going to be compost. We'll clip it and we'll give it to them. Yep, he has whole free range of the courtyard. Yeah, he's living the life. This ag lab course is a little unusual for Salmon River. It's funded by the Healthy Heart Network in Saranac Lake, and it is the only ag-based program offered here. There wasn't really a whole lot of uh, ag classes in Salmon, so it's about the closest you can get right here. I like it. That's Brennan Oaks. Brennan's mom is Michelle Oaks, the class facilitator. She also attended Salmon River when she was a kid. Well, I was in high school. I was involved in the FFA, and um, and I took ag classes. And so when I came back in 2014 and found out that we no longer had an ag program, I was a little bit taken aback by that because up until that point, ag had been such a large part of our school history. Oaks hopes that this course will start to revitalize ag education at Salmon River. It's really surprising sometimes how many students really don't necessarily understand where their food comes from. Oaks says that the goal of this class is to give students the space to learn about how growing food works and to use sustainable practices in their own lives. Plus... Oaks wants to keep providing a space for kids who are interested in farming and spending time outdoors. Two of those kids in that classroom right there are my kids. And one of them has uh, really been a driving force for me in saying, Mom, there's there's nothing that I feel connected to right now. In getting this program going again, I feel like we are, again, building that foundation, but also allowing all of those other students who struggle during the day to find a connection have something to look forward to and want to be here for. Oaks says that the class has been very popular with the student body. She says the kids love tending to the lettuce and tomato plants every day. Oaks says that they get to see their impact on the school community when they buy lunch at the cafeteria. And then I'll have students come in and say, I ate your lettuce today in the cafeteria, which is kind of cute. So, so far... Her class has provided over 55 pounds of lettuce to the Salmon River Cafeteria. Oaks hopes that the ag program will expand within the next few years. She plans on building a greenhouse and creating a mentor program where second-year ag students can teach newbies all they've learned about growing their own food. Maya Mackey and Kelly Daphnis, North Country Public Radio.
This story was co-reported by Kelly and NCPR intern Maya Mackey. This weekend, the Adirondack Wine and Food Festival will be setting up shop in downtown Lake George for its seventh year. And as you might expect, there will be a lot of vendors sampling and selling wine and food. This year, they've also added a beer garden and a food truck alley. Amy Feierisel spoke with founder Sasha Party, who with her husband owns Adirondack Winery in Queensbury. She started the Adirondack Wine and Food Festival in 2014, inspired by the renovated Lake George Fairgrounds. And that I saw as like the perfect place to do our own festival and kind of take the bits and pieces from all of these other festivals that we had been attending as a vendor and make it, you know, in our opinion, in our way that we think um, to do it better. So for someone who has never been, can you describe the Adirondack Wine and Food Festival and and what people can expect to find there? So the nice thing about our festival is that, you know, most of these are held at like fairgrounds that are kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, So this is in, you know, smack dab center of Lake George. So within walking distance, you have thousands of hotel rooms, hundreds of restaurants, and there's just so many fun things to do when you come to the Adirondack Wine and Food Festival. Can you sort of like actually describe what the festival looks and feels like? Um, when you enter the festival grounds, you get a bag, you get a program, and then bam, there's 120 vendors in front of you. I mean, probably 30 or so wineries, 30 or so artisan food vendors. We have a beer garden. And then we have some, you know, artisan crafters that are unique. We try to keep things like wine related or like Lake George related. We have non-alcoholic beverage vendors is a big important part too. And we've brought a kid's tent back into the center of the grounds. So it's really like a family friendly event too. There's plenty to do if you're not interested in drinking alcohol. Like it's just 20 bucks for a DD ticket. Kids 15 under are free. So there's plenty to do if you come as a family or come with a DD as well. Mm. Can, can you tell me a little bit more about the why behind the festival? You know, what it is that you're hoping happens there? For us, owning and operating a winery, we wanted to bring um, the people to experience all of the amazing products that vendors such as ourselves, small producers in New York State, make with tender, loving care. They might be in Washington County on like a back road and like who's going to actually go visit them. So they need to come to events like this to meet people that are from New Jersey and Massachusetts and Vermont and Rhode Island. And, you know, of course, like George and the local area as well. But um, it really gives those vendors a chance to sample their products. And then we hope that people purchase them to take them home with them. We have a team that works only on this all year. It's a big, big undertaking. And then you got all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> well, best of luck. I'll cross my fingers uh, for the weather. And, uh, and thanks for chatting with me. Yeah, of course. Thank you. That was Amy Feierisel interviewing Sasha Party, a founder of the Adirondack Wine and Food Festival, which is celebrating its seventh year this weekend in Lake George.
You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up in just a minute, voters have approved the establishment of the Bodenhausen Public Library in Brazier Falls. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note. We're celebrating World Rainforest Day coming up at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. Partly to mostly sunny skies with highs today in the upper 70s, low 80s, light winds out of the south. And then tonight, lows near 60 under partly cloudy skies. Tomorrow and Saturday and Sunday, we've got a chance to scattered showers, maybe uh, an occasional thunderstorm. As we head into the weekend, highs tomorrow, upper 70s, near 80, light winds out of the southeast, about a 50% chance of scattered rain Friday, an 80% chance of rain Saturday, highs upper 70s, near 80, and then about a 50% chance of scattered rain again Sunday and Monday with highs around 80 right now uh, in Canton, partly sunny skies and 67 degrees. Voters in the Brazier Falls Central School District approved the formation of the Bodenhausen Public Library this week. The vote grants the former reading room an official charter as a school district public library through the state education department. With the establishment of that, voters also approved the election of five trustees and a budget of $77,000 a year. And it was formed in December 2014. The library initially relied on a donation from Dr. Susan Bodenhausen to provide library services to the residents of Brazier Falls. It's in an old storefront along the village's historic main street. I just walked into this space when I did my interview and I'm home. It's just, I just love this room. That's Tina Hardigan, director of the Bodenhausen Library. I stopped by for a visit last fall when the Board of Trustees began working toward establishing the organization as an official chartered library. I'm Laurel Murphy, and I'm the board president here at the Badenhausen Reading Room. I live here in Brazier Falls, and I also work at a neighboring library, which is what brought my attention to the reading room and its need for its survival in the community. And I'm Tina Hargan. I'm the new director here at Badenhausen Reading Room. I've lived here my whole life. I moved away and moved back when my mom was ill, and just so happened they needed a director, and I threw my hat in the ring. And here you are. And here I am. Loving it. Our community voiced their concern over the reading room, then the branch library closing. And it was loud, and there was a group of volunteers that, you know, we dug our heels in and said, nope, we're not letting it close. And here we are, and the doors closed for a little bit so we could transition. And then we opened, and it's the same services we offered before, same library card we offered before. So continuity of services was really important. We also partner with 65 other libraries in the North Country Library System, can get books from any of those 65 libraries. We're working on some partnerships with other members in the community, other organizations in the community. So it's been really successful so far. We're excited for it. So you're sort of a library in, in, in all but name because you're tied in with, are you in the, the Northern New York yep. Library System? Yeah. Yep. yeah. So uh, we're part of the North Country Library System, so same card that you can use in Messina, Canton, Ogdensburg, all the way down to Fulton, Oswego. Uh, all of those libraries use the same library card, same e-resources, same e-books, everything like that. So we get to benefit from all of those other libraries' resources. <laughs> so there's kind of a little bit of a silver lining here, because unfortunately the Messina Library had to let you go, but... Right. 
That's amazing that you say that there Phoenix were people. Phoenix from the ashes. Phoenix from the ashes. Yeah. It is amazing. Uh, the the group that started this has been, you know, supportive all along, and then it took people like myself and some other trustees who have experience working with libraries to become involved and really start figuring out what had to happen to set a budget to figure out. You know, we have to get a bank account. We've yeah. started applying for our five hundred one c three. Those nitpicky things that had to happen for it to function. Has Brazier Falls ever had a library when you were growing up, Tina? Was there a public library? Or? Well, I think in my cover letter I mentioned I, my my nose was always in a book. Yeah. And <laughs> the library that I frequented was St. Lawrence Central. Uh. That's the only library I, w- I was able to even... I remember my mom reading a lot and having a lot of books, so I read her books, but... As a library, we went to the school library, took what we wanted before the weekend because otherwise you wouldn't have. Anyway, so that was my library. So I liked the entrepreneurial vision that Dr. Badenhausen had. So we are continuing that. I think that she had the right idea, and every town needs a library. Every town. We can't have a lot of things in here, so we're trying to do the important things. And... Finding out what those important things are is key. So Jellystone Campground, I put up a sign saying anyone that's staying here can come over. We'll give you a library card. I'll even deliver the books if you want me to. To the campsite. To the campsite. And they come over. I called it some more reading. (laughs) We're, We're trying little things that might not work in the short term but might work in the long term. And let me ask, uh, Laurel, what is it that, that is, is there a love of books and libraries? And you don't have to do this. You know, you're a volunteer, right? I mean, so, why, why did you, like, say, I need to be a part of this? My cracking point was the fact that my daughter was going to grow up in a community without a public library. They had gone through the trouble and, and thanks to Dr. Badenhausen of establishing a library and then all of a sudden it was going to disappear. And I wanted my daughter to know the same joy that I knew of going in for story hour and summer reading and picking out books and everything like that. And so I was very upset to know that we weren't going to have one anymore. It just did not sit well with me. And I didn't initially come in planning to be on the board. I was just <laughs> helping. And then, and then I decided that it was a good fit for me to become involved, and I think we've we've enjoyed it. We're thankful for the staff that we have. Everybody has been working as a well-oiled machine to make this happen, yeah. and it's uh, like you said, a hub. It's a heart of the community. Libraries are where anybody from any walk of life can come in and hopefully find something that brings them joy or interest or anything like that. And I think that's what we're aiming to do. And as Tina said, you know, we want to be what our community needs us to be. Badenhausen Public Library Trustee Laurel Murphy. We also heard from Tina Hardigan, Director of the Library in downtown Brazier Falls in St. Lawrence County. It's from my visit to the library last fall. In a press release this week, Trustee Laurel Murphy said, quote, I am so pleased that the residents approved the vote and many generations will now get to experience everything there is to offer from a local library, unquote. 
You're listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. And there are so many events going on throughout the community on these warm summer days. Don't forget to check out the uh, work of artist Dave Fadden on display now at Blue Seed Studios. This is the last weekend to be able to see it. He's an Anciata-based artist, and his new exhibit, well, his latest exhibit, is called Indigenous Reflection. He's known for his portraits of indigenous men and women, and you can see his work on display now at the gallery at Blue Seed Studios through June 25th. That's this Sunday. You can find out more at blueseedstudios.org. The Upper J Arts Center presents a play reading of Hot Dish by Brendan Healy. It's going to be this Saturday night, June 24th, 7 p.m. at Upper J Arts Center's Recovery Lounge. It's free. Donations are welcome. You can RSVP at UpperJArtCenter.org. That's on Route 9N in uh, North in Upper J. Again, it's a, a play reading of Hot Dish by Brendan Healy, Saturday night at 7 o'clock. And Monica, I just got to tell you, the press release for this has a photo of you know, both of us from the Midwest. Yes. We know what Hot Dish Absolutely. is. Absolutely. There's a photo of a, of a tater tot hot dish. <laughs> With the uh, press release for... <laughs> every, every potluck. Every Easter potluck. I see it. I see it. Tater tot hot dish. Or maybe it's a tuna noodle casserole or hot dish. I'm not sure. But that's it. A hot dish and casserole. You can, are, practic- yeah, yeah. You can practically taste it through, <laughs> through the photo. Oh, I also want to remind everybody to check out the second annual Tri-Lake Pride Festival at Riverside Park in Saranac Lake this Sunday. It'll be from 12 to 4 and it's hosted by the Adirondack North Country Gender Alliance. You can find out more online from the uh, North Country Gender Alliance. And of course, there is always good music going on throughout the region. Coming up in Plattsburgh this Friday night, check out the uh, the Plattsburgh-based musician John Wagar and Friends. He's performing at the Monopole Friday night from 10 to 2. This is his song, On the Way to My Grave. Way to my grave with a gold medallion I was riding a stallion on the way to my grave Like a wolf on a saddle I was fast as lightning I was fast as lightning on the way to my grave As I looked at the people they were doggy heaven They were doggy heaven on the way
On the way to my grave, that's John Wagar and Friends. They're performing this Friday evening at the Monopole. They go on at 10. You can find out more from the Monopole Bar in Plattsburgh. Hey, don't forget the Howl Story Slam tonight. Yes, coming up this evening, I've got it right here. The theme is School Days. NCPR and the Adirondack Center for Writing present the Howell Story Slam live in Ticonderoga. Join us at Ledge Hill Brewing on Montcalm Street at 7 o'clock tonight for an evening of five-minute true stories with no notes, no props. Again, the theme is School Days. You can get details about the Howell Story Slam and find storytelling tips at ncpr.org slash Howell. The first 15 storytellers to sign up tonight will be included in the lineup. It's free to tell stories, free to attend, with a suggested donation of $10 to support the Howell. Again, you can find out more at our website, ncpr.org slash Howell. That is it for the show for the day. Morning Edition continues in just a moment. Then later this morning, join us for a conversation looking back at Roe v. Wade. What role did the viability line play in the decision to overturn that? On 1A, Jen White looks at new reporting into how a fuzzy medical concept morphed into a hard legal line. That's today between 10 and noon here on NCPR. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Thanks for listening. Be well.